0: Oh boy, Andy Weir and Rob Manning together this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. He is the author of The Martian, Artemis, and Project Hail Mary. The other guy is the Jet Propulsion Lab's chief engineer a position he reached after establishing himself as the go-to guy for safely landing robots on Mars. Both have been heard here on our show many times. I have dreamed of getting them together. Now, with just three episodes to go as host, Andy and Rob have joined me for one of the most entertaining, provocative, funny, and enlightening conversations in our 20-year history. It's also one of the longest, but you'll only hear the first few minutes of it here. The entire 70-minute conversation in which these two magnificently creative people share their thoughts about creativity and much more can be heard at planetary.org slash radio and in the podcast. But you won't have to go there to hear Bruce Betts reacting to the 20th anniversary gift I'll give him. Incoming host Sarah Alamed will be here in a minute to Help us celebrate the very successful completion of the Artemis I mission. And as you'll hear me mention to Sarah, I spent a couple of delightful hours at Navy Base San Diego on board the USS Portland. In that great ship's cavernous, semi-submersible bay sat the Artemis I Orion capsule. The December 9 edition of the Downlink, our free weekly newsletter, came out too soon to capture the splashdown, but it does mark the 50th anniversary of the last time humans visited the moon. That was Apollo 17, of course, with Gene Cernan, Ron Evans, and geologist Harrison Schmidt on the crew. There's a great photo of these heroes at planetary.org slash downlink. The Planetary Society is also celebrating NASA's decision to launch the Near-Earth Object, or NEO Surveyor, in 2028. And thank goodness, we'll finally have that dedicated infrared space telescope that will find many more asteroids that cross our path. Want to know what a big space rock can do? How about the one that may have generated a tsunami 80 stories high? This wave may have swept across Mars a few billion years ago. That story and more are waiting for you, along with the free digital edition of The Planetary Report, our quarterly magazine. Sarah, welcome back. I hope that I have just driven you green with envy, because I know you've already seen the selfie I took as I was standing just a few feet away from the Orion capsule recovered as part of the Artemis I mission. So cool.
1: That is so cool i'm so looking forward to having adventures like that in the future but i'm glad you got to do that how how was it was it burnt to a crisp (laughs) it was pretty toasty it was uh, quite toasty but in very good shape i know you were excited absolutely i mean not only does this mark the end to the artemis 1 mission an amazingly successful end but it also splashed down 50 years to the day since the apollo 17 astronauts landed on the moon so it all came around full circle and, and that's just so cool and poetic you have your
0: own artemis coverage coming up in in what your second show
1: Yeah, my second show on January 11th in 2023. I spoke with Jeremy Graber, who's the assistant launch director at Kennedy Space Center. We had a whole wonderful conversation about the launch, what went on that night, but also about the passengers aboard uh, the Orion capsule, the three mannequins, and the little plushy Snoopy. I wanted to know what was going to happen with that plushy Snoopy, so I got the details on that.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. All right, Uh, good reason, along with many others, to tune in. Because, of course, Sarah will in, what, three short weeks now, with the January 4th show, that will be when she uh, takes over the microphone here on Planetary Radio. And your first guest on
1: that first show, I hear he's he's sometimes okay. Sometimes okay. Well, of course, you are my first guest, Matt. I needed to talk to you (laughs) about your experience on Planetary Radio, and thank you for everything you've done over these years. So additionally, thank you for being my first guest. (laughs)
0: You are very welcome, and thank you for that honor. And you'll be back next week for another one of these brief uh, segments up front. And then on my very last program, when we will uh, continue the tradition of talking with uh, Planetary Society colleagues, a little review of uh, the year 2022 in space. It has been quite a year, and Sarah will be part of that panel. So uh, I'll talk to you then as well.
1: Gosh, what a year. There's so much to go over. It was really
0: exciting. You bet. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks so much, Matt. Sarah Alamed is the Planetary Society's Digital Community Manager, but not for much longer. With any luck, Rob Manning and Andy Weir will be in their current professions for many years to come. I'll introduce them in a minute. Much more interestingly, you're about to hear them introduce each other in this relatively brief sample of our recent conversation. I cannot tell you how much I have been looking forward to this with some trepidation because I didn't want to screw it up because I knew how great it could be. Just as we've been working to get Rob's mic working, I've been reassured because, Andy, you've been so great with your insults and Rob's technical ability. Uh, <laughs> the guy can welcome. land
2: things on Mars, cannot get his microphone
3: working. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm very specialized. <laughs> They, You're a
0: systems engineer, that Rob. You're a system.
3: Yeah, you. I, I I delegate to important people with technical <laughs> He's skills. A hardware like, guy. I'm like a software Andy. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yes. Andy, Andy, could you explain this method call to this microphone? I just don't get it.
2: Could <laughs> yeah. I
0: be, before you get into that? Rob Manning came to JPL from Caltech as a draftsman on the Galileo Jupiter mission. Yes. By the early 1990s, he was chief engineer for Mars Pathfinder the brilliantly successful mission that put us back on the road to Mars and included that cute little Sojourner rover that will someday become Mark the Martian Watney's pet. (laughs) (laughs) And since then, it has been Mars all the way down, though he is now also the lab's overall chief engineer. So uh, welcome, Rob. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Andy Weir is the author of not one but two, number one, New York Times bestselling novels, The Martian, and his most recent book, Project Hail Mary, which I've described as having an average of one great laugh and one fascinating innovation on every page. In between these, oh, look at that. Rob is now promoting the book. <laughs> <laughs> I can get my copy. In between these, you can have some great fun on the moon with Artemis, I also recommend Cheshire Crossing, his wonderful, feisty graphic novel created with artist Sarah Anderson that brings together three of the greatest young female heroines of all time, Alice Wonderland Liddell. And I thank you for making her hair black as it actually was. Wendy Darling and Dorothy Gale. I highly recommend it. I I read it just just a couple of weeks ago. Welcome, guys. Welcome again. Hi. Thanks. It's, Hi. it's
2: great to be here.
0: It's On a great this, pleasure your, for me, too.
2: Your final planetary radio with
0: guests. With, That's right. With, with guests. external guests. Absolutely When did you right. start? Like, what year? It's uh, 20 years ago. 20, 20 years ago.
2: So, in the time that planetary radio has been going, we lost a planet. We did. <laughs> it wasn't I,
0: my fault. I,
2: I hold you responsible. When you started <laughs> planetary radio, there were nine planets.
3: Now there are eight. <laughs> <laughs> and the, you know, this is supposed to be the planetary society you know you're supposed to promote planets not have them vanish.
2: Oh, man. You're, in fact not only that they're big on planetary defense right I, I now I, that's I know. a big thing yeah. they didn't defend pluto
0: maybe pluto
2: was a threat
0: yeah. gentlemen i'm, I'm going to ask you to the reason i did your intros live is that as i warned you i'm going to ask you to continue those introductions of each other rob would you please tell us about uh, Andy Weir?
3: Okay, well, Andy Weir—he's—he's he's this software guy from the Central California area, <laughs> and uh, and he had this apparently he had this idea of writing this this book about Mars, but he wasn't that confident in himself, so he had to kind of do it online. He had a bunch of people, and I really wish I'd been one of those people to uh, comment on his his was it weekly posts that you put out of your of your of your book. Monthly, a chapter a month, roughly. Chapter a month. And then people commented, and you went back in red lines. Like, you know, what kind of confidence is that? You know, the other
0: hand, (laughs) you know, I kind of count on other people to help me out too. (laughs) I should mention that you guys know each other. That's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you together. And Rob, I wish I had recorded the wonderful things that you said about Andy when I just told you that I wanted to get the two of you together. Because I don't know if you're willing to repeat them now, but y- I you remember, seem to I have a pretty high <laughs> opinion of him. Uh,
3: uh, well, you know, it, what? I really, yeah, I wish he wasn't here to listen to this. I mean, this is really embarrassing. Um, I thought that was know, it. You know, I think it, you know, and it goes back to, you know, how you see the world right and there's a there's a sense of what's what's really magical about engineering or about making things is that we live in a in a physical world that we can pull things together and pull ideas together and Andy loves integrating that component in with humanity because it's important to remember that we're also physical beings that interact with this world you know that's the magic of being alive and Andy you are, you're able to pull in science and engineering in an actualization sense that, that with enough, with a closeness to the, the actual universe that we live in that really allows for that interaction to feel real and feel dramatic. And it by the way, now that's how my world feels like, you know, even though, how it's amazing how much time we spend in PowerPoint space uh, staring <laughs> at uh, the universe of bullets and block diagrams and things like that. No, but, but so you had sometimes pull yourself out of that and look at the reality. And what's, what's so cool about Andy's books, and I think a lot what we do too, is we, we try to explore ideas and we build up complicated systems to explore our universe, not for the sake of going out there, not for the, just the sake of looking, but to actually change what's in our brains. And that's what Andy does to the reader. Oh, thanks so much. It's really nice. Your turn
2: Andy. Well, uh seriously, it's 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 really amazing the stuff that Rob has done and gotten to be in charge of and and be a part of and and it's it's very I'm very envious. When I first wrote the Martian, of course, I, I I did it as he described. I I posted it a chapter at a time to my website. I had no contacts. I didn't know anyone at NASA or JPL or anything like that. And then it started to gain popularity, and then I had people like Rob contacting me. He's like Hey, I'm Rob Manning. I I land stuff on Mars. I want to tell you that this is really (laughs) neat. I'm like, wait, wait, go back. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, stop. I think I remember this is uh, more about NASA than JPL, but uh, I remember one time it was like Christmas time, and on ISS they had to do a pseudo-emergency spacewalk to fix a water leak outside the station, and it was on like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or whatever. So I was at my mom's and I was just like hanging out, kind of bored and reading my email. And I got email from people at mission control for the station saying like, hey, we're all just sitting here waiting for the for the emergency spacewalk to work to start. We were not really expecting to have to have a full staff here. So we're kind of bored. Just thought we'd email you and say we liked the Martian." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, oh, I can honestly say I didn't expect a email from mission control. Um, yeah. Uh, so maybe Rob can speak to this too. My 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 favorite bit of feedback that I've gotten from the space community in general. Once I got to meet all the all the movers and shakers and stuff like that. You know, everyone at JPL John, and at Johnson Space Center and all the way up to the the DC office of NASA and everything like that. You mean when they got to meet you? When they got to meet me? Yes. Yeah. When they were so privileged. <laughs> yeah. When I got to meet all these people and do all these tours and look at all this awesome stuff. The one thing everyone agreed on was that the least accurate part of the Martian is the high degree of cooperation shown between NASA and JPL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: Rob, yeah, you, I didn't like, you didn't? I, I like that. I like that fiction. I like that fiction. It was great. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: What turned the two of you into space nerds, space science <laughs> and engineering nerds? Rob? Okay. Well, I grew up
3: in the, for the most part, in the Puget Sound, in the around, in the islands, to sound far away from being technical i you know the first time i met a real engineer was not until many many years later in fact i thought engineers drove trains uh yeah, so yeah i don't know that's oh when um, you were so,
2: born that's what they
3: did it's what they did <laughs> <laughs> i mean back when you were born that's what engineer meant <laughs> You're, so i was reading national geographic magazine and operator mechanics and we have, those are the two main sources of technical knowledge that I gained, as well as there's a wonderful series, a time-life series of hardback books that were very popular back then. And I, and I collected all 40 of them and there were great pictures and stories in there about, about science and engineering, life, biology, all sorts of things. Um, but the one I liked best was, it was called, mechanistically called man in space. Um, there's people in space. And, and and I had all these pictures of, you know, astronauts learning how to how, how to operate a spacesuit and I just came, these people are really going. And of course they had these pictures. Chelsea Blonstel's paintings from uh, from the Colliers magazines were still in there with as well as Vera von Bra's Braun's images of what Mars exploration might look like, you know, spinning space stations, even before two thousand nine Space Odyssey came out, which by the way blew my socks off when it came out, um as a kid. Um it, and I just I I just found that the idea of inventing things I, I wanted to be an inventor and i think a space inventor i was even okay about being a uh, construction worker in a space station i thought that might be kind of fun so You'd i just,
2: settle for such a lowly position
3: oh man would i ever <laughs> I, mean, I mean i mean i mean the whole thing that you could buy these rebel models of of the mercury and and or gemini uh, and then when apollo i was just following apollo so anyway the long story short I was growing up right in the era of human space exploration and space exploration in general. Mariner spacecraft was sent out fly past Venus and Mars and eventually Mercury. I mean, we're just we're just like, oh my gosh, these little dots in the sky are becoming real. And of course, in all these books about science, these pictures we had of so Jupiter and Saturn, you we know, had a little tiny, they were they're, like blurry little circles with stripes and then a, a ring around it. And that was
0: it. It says, what is it? We don't know. Very cool. What a great time to grow up. Can you see below my right shoulder down in that bookcase? That's the Life Science Library. There it is. You got it right there. (laughs) Man, Man in Space. That was my favorite one in the series too. One of the proudest moments of my life as a kid I found a mistake and I sent it into time life and they sent me back a thank you note with a little paste in caption to correct the the caption that was incorrect <laughs> oh. on one of the illustrations made my made my year probably made my life <laughs> Andy what were your influences i mean what what turned you into a nerd <clears throat> well I think uh genetics, largely. Um, <laughs> my father was,
2: I mean, both my parents are still alive. So when I speak in the past tense, I'm meaning that they're now retired. But my father was a um, a, a linear accelerator physicist. Wow. And and so he made he made electrons go really fast and hit stuff. My mother was an electrical engineer. So my dad, he's all about the physics and science and stuff like that. My mom was just doing it for the paycheck. She, she didn't have a lot of passion about it. She was good at it. But she was doing it just to, you know, to make the money. What my mom really liked is reading. So that combination kind of makes me hopelessly fall into the science fiction setting. Another thing is my father had never threw away a book in his life so far, I don't think. And he has this giant bookshelf just full of every science fiction book he has ever owned, dating all the way back to his own childhood. So I grew up reading like the uh, juveniles yeah. science fiction books from the 1950s and 60s and stuff. Not reprints, like the original ones. So they have sort of a smell to them. The yeah. pages are yellowed a bit. And because the intended audience are like 15 and 14-year-old boys, they have ads for cigarettes at the midpoint. <laughs> Seriously. They'll be like, you'll be reading really long, just ordinary page, and then there'll be a glossy page that's an ad for like Kent cigarettes. And yes. then you just continue.
0: Keep talking, guys. You're I'm going to do something else I've never done. Yeah, you just carry on the show. We okay. hate dead air. I'll be right okay. back. So, well, so, Andy, did
3: you did you read R.C. Clark and uh, Asimov oh, yeah. and Heinlein? Clark,
0: uh, yeah, Asimov,
2: Clark, and Heinlein are my holy trinity. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're the ones I really grew up reading. Okay, here we have Starman Jones. I've, I've read that. Yeah, remember that original edition. Yeah. But then there's also "Have Spacesuit, Will Travel." Which oh, I that's really what like. got me into yeah. it.
0: That was my first Heinlein <laughs> yeah. story. Rob, you, you're nodding a lot. Rob, were you also a fan of these Golden oh, era yeah. guys? Oh, yeah, all these guys. And I, I just,
3: it was really got me into reading. I mean, it was the kind of thing where you just, especially, I love the, I love the little, the smaller stories too, where you could just sort of like sneak off uh, during a little break in school and just hide your, yeah, hide your book in the backpack again and start over again.
2: Well, you're talking about Rob, I did the exact same thing. I would sneak I would have a Heinlein book or Clark or Asimov or whatever in my backpack at school and I'd sneak up and read it. And the the book Red Planet by Heinlein oh, yeah. has book. the distinction of being the first time I ever read a book start to finish in a single day. Like, oh wow. Yeah, you know, and so I was a teenager, I was in school. It was a school day, but all of my classes ended up having like a lot of boring stuff going on. So I was just like in the back like reading my book and
0: yeah if only that had been the real mars uh we could you know you have to it gets chilly at night but you can still wander around you can you can wander <laughs>
2: around you ice skate across the great blank plains of mars
0: yeah
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, i i you know think about these the universes they, they, they took you from i mean uh, my world was uh, i didn't have technical or college educated uh parents or environment. So these places just feel like I really was going to a different world. I mean, really. And, and their imaginations that they had, especially back then, because they were inventing stuff you know, way ahead of the time. And we've, we've seen so much of science fiction authors' of visions come true. And it's partly because they inspired engineers, right, to actually to do the very thing that they suggested. I just find it amazing how much an innovation and imagination
0: Uh, and and curiosity these people had to make these books happen. Jet Propulsion Lab Chief Engineer Rob Manning and number one best-selling author of The Martian and Project Hail Mary, Andy Weir. Bruce and What's Up are a minute away. This is Planetary Radio.
1: There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, Pretty Planetary Pictures and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science.
4: Greetings, Bill Nye here with a message of gratitude. It's been a wonderful year for the Planetary Society made possible by our donors and members. Thank you so much. We look forward to achieving even more in 2023. I hope all of you will be with us as we strive to know the cosmos and our place within it. Check us out at planetary.org. That's where you can also learn how to become part of this journey. Here's wishing you a joyous holiday season and the
0: happiest of New Year's. Hey, guess what? It's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. The chief scientist of the Planetary Society is here with us again. Dr. Bruce Betts, I have your gift. Here it is in the <laughs> white styrofoam box, non-recyclable box. Is there
4: dry ice involved?
0: Are there holes? No, no, no dry ice required. Uh, you can use it for dry ice if you like later, but I've already said too much. Okay, you'll have to, all right. You'll have to stick around to the end.
4: This time I will.
0: <laughs> and the sooner you tell us about the night sky, well...
4: Oh, yeah. There are all sorts of planets in the evening sky. There's the party we've been having with uh, Mars rising in the east. Uh, It'll already be up uh, around sunset in the east, looking bright red, but dimming as it gets farther away from Earth. And then uh, Jupiter high in the sky, looking very, very bright. Saturn moving over towards the west as the weeks go on, looking yellowish. In a surprise guest appearance, we'll have Mercury through the end of the month. You're going to need a low view to the western horizon shortly after sunset. And and get excited because Venus is coming up underneath it. It's super bright below Mercury. Mercury will go away. Venus will join us for the next few months. Stay tuned for more Mercury fun. Mercury mirth. Mirthery. <laughs> this week in space history, big week 60 years ago, Mariner 2 became the first planet flyby, successful planet flyby, when it flew by Venus. Ten years later, Gene Cernan was taken the last steps on the moon by a human. I mean, I'm not counting Wallace and Gromit, because it's different. (laughs) Jeez, Gromit. (laughs) Winsley All right, you ready? Go. Random Matt Kaplan fact!
0: Uh, That was unexpected.
4: I ask forgiveness from the uh, the public. We've got uh, three episodes left, Matt, yeah. with you as host guy. And so I'm introducing Random Matt Kaplan Fact as a replacement segment for the next three weeks. Matt Kaplan's radio broadcasting career began in elementary school when his parents gave him a Remco AM radio transmitter as a kid. Uh-huh. He could broadcast all of 50 feet the world would never be the same
0: (laughs) my poor brothers who were forced to be the audience well i love it thank you oh you're welcome wait
4: till we get to next week and the week after Uh (laughs) let us move on to the trivia contest shall we because that gets me one step closer to my glorious gift as of planetary radio's 20th birthday which occurred just a couple weeks ago about how old would planetary radio be in mercury years How'd we do, Matt?
0: I will simply let our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild, in Kansas, respond. I think you will like this. We've dialed in so long ago to planetary radio, where all have heard young Matt give word and Bruce with random facts absurd. I tell (laughs) you, sir, we all concur that you're our spatial messenger. Get it? Messenger?
4: Ah, messenger.
0: And 83 is what you'd be if you had lived on Mercury. Indeed, 83 years young. Thank you, Dave. Uh, another great job. Uh, here's our winner, Reese Naylor, first-time winner in uh, Ontario, Canada. Yep, just about to turn 83. He adds, congratulations, Matt, on a fantastic run. Thank you for all your work. You are very welcome, Reese, and we are going to send you a Planetary Society Kick Asteroid. Rubber Astro. I like that. Um, How about for this time?
4: I realized something, Matt. This trivia question will be answered during your final show as host.
0: That's very true.
4: So I'm going to break all the rules and ask. Oh, gosh, I wish I had a good joke right now. To the audience out there, what? After Matt retires as Planetary Radio host, what job would you like him to do? What do you envision him doing? I like that. It can be serious. It can be funny. It can be- Profound. Profound. Yeah. Or just not profound. So, something I would write. Okay. Good. We have
0: reached that point. Here's the box. (laughs) Making noise.
4: I can see it on my
0: little video. I'm going to open it up. There we are. Okay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. gosh. It is a coffee mug and I'll hold it up to the camera. A planetary radio emblazoned coffee mug. Oh, yes, but wait, there's
4: more. No way. Oh, my gosh, there's a picture of Matt and Bruce recording
0: at the beach. Yay! That's so cool. Thank you, Matt. Isn't it nice? It really uh, just jumped out. When I needed to pick a photo, I'd forgotten all about this, but we were on Coronado Beach recording. What's up? It's just a great photo. Oh, that's
4: cool. Thank you, and thank you, everyone, for going along on our... A memory-filled journey over this these time period uh, that's a little less space and a little more, well, Matt Kaplan. Ew, sounds gross when I say it out loud. Say goodnight, Bruce. Goodnight, Bruce. <laughs> we've only done that like a hundred times over the past
0: 20 years. That's less than 10% of the shows, because we've really done, I think, 1,106 shows. Of course, that includes Space Policy Edition monthly programs. So, but uh, yeah, we're well over a 1,000.
4: All right, everybody, go out there, look out for the night sky, and think about the squirrel outside my window that's eating a nut. Thank you, and good night. It's very cute. That
0: was the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Bruce Betts, who is now taking a photo of the squirrel eating a nut outside his window uh, so that he can remember this moment with the squirrel forever. He joins us every week here on What's Up. Want to see Bruce's truly cute squirrel? It's on the episode page at planetary.org slash radio. Next week, the best of Planetary Radio, which is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by our Space Nut members, Mark Verda and Ray Paletta are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. At Astro.